Tennessee football got a major win in the courtroom last week with uh, Judge Clifton Corker granting a temporary injunction in the ongoing lawsuit brought by the states of Tennessee and Virginia against the NCAA. This is good news for the Vols in their ongoing investigation brought by the NCAA. Uh, And from a larger scope, it also means that NIL rules from the NCAA are frozen, at least for the time being. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinel's Adam Sparks. John Adams not with us today. I believe he's out having coffee with Philip Fulmer, or so he told me. So we'll get an update (laughs) from John next week. But today we wanted to bring you up to speed on the latest in the the court case involving Tennessee and the NCAA, also the NCAA investigation into Tennessee. But we want to talk a little bit of on-field matters as well. So first half of the pod will be NCAA courtroom stuff. Second half of the pod will be taking a look at Tennessee's schedule and what it might mean for their college football playoff pursuits. So Adam, let's start with the courtroom. Uh, It was last Friday, sort of the Friday news dump that we have come to expect in our industry. Uh, As it goes, usually around uh, four o'clock, three, four o'clock Eastern time, maybe even five o'clock on a Friday. Every journalist knows, be ready. That's when the news is is coming. And and that was the case here. Judge Clifton Corker uh, in the case brought by the states of Tennessee and Virginia granted the preliminary injunction that they sought against the NCA. The upshot of this is the NCA's NIL rules uh, against NIL being used as a recruiting inducement. Well, those rules are froze, frozen, at least for the time being, until the court case is concluded. But bringing it back home to the Vols, what does this ruling mean for the NCA's investigation of Tennessee? Because the court case is separate but it's undeniably related and linked to the NCA investigation of Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, directly, it, it means that uh, the NCAA cannot include, at least in theory, they cannot include NIL-related violations in the notice of allegations if they do end up issuing one to Tennessee. Um, so, uh, you know, it takes what's probably going to be the most serious charges in this current NCAA investigation, sort of takes them off the table and even more so than that, maybe not more so, but in addition to that, um, the so that one one tactic that uh, the NCAA could have done if the preliminary injunction was granted, which it was, freezing NIL rules. Another tactic the NCAA could do was say, well, what Tennessee did was not NIL related; it was booster related. So these are violations by boosters, not not by an NIL collective or part of NIL. It would just be sort of a reinterpretation of a rule. Um, and so there was a thought around this investigation that NCAA could like try plan B with that. Um, but if you look in like the last line, the last couple of lines of that 13 page injunction order, uh, Clifton Corker um, made it clear that he sees boosters and NIL collectives basically as the same entities. Uh, and so that that takes like plan B off the table for the NCAA, at, at least in theory. So what you have left is probably some lesser serious charges and maybe even some things that Tennessee could negotiate, like in a negotiated resolution. So rather than us talking about, you know, could Tennessee get the postseason ban or something this time around? If there is a notice of allegations, we're probably more talking about like Tennessee getting a slap on the wrist for 
maybe some level two violations or whatever. Nothing will surprise me. So we'll see what happens. But it's certainly in the NCAA's court now, both in the in the NCAA investigation, but then also in court, whether or not they want to pursue this at trial. Um, But Tennessee, UT is sort of in the in the power seat now. They can sort of dictate some things because the teeth has been taken out of the NCAA enforcement side. Yeah, and uh, the, the judge sort of tipped his hand as to which way he's leaning in the ongoing lawsuit as well. Like you said, the NCAA can decide whether they want to uh, take this to to a judgment or not. But uh, in Corker's ruling for the preliminary injunction, he sort of hinted, uh, basically, don't expect him to change his mind uh, if this you know reaches a conclusion in the lawsuit. And that would match what we've seen for the past couple of years now. The NCAA really struggles in these antitrust cases that are taken to court, sort of started three years ago with that Austin case, uh, which the NCAA lost nine, nothing and Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote in his opinion that the NCAA is not above the law. And that as it stood, the NCAA was really um, kind of playing with fire with the antitrust law if they didn't change their ways. Well, the NCAA hasn't changed its ways. And sure enough, as Kavanaugh predicted, uh, they're getting getting beat repeatedly in the courtroom. So yeah, from a Tennessee sense, it's like this is good news for Tennessee in the investigation. From a broader sense, it means the wild, wild west becomes the wilder, wilder west. Like whatever little guidelines the NCAA had, those now are moot. Right. And, and some would argue that they were moot anyway, like the NCAA for the first couple of years wasn't trying to enforce their guidelines. But now you can rip up the guidelines and, and throw them in the trash. They're gone. Thanks to this injunction there. You know, it's kind of like the the comment at the beginning of this was uh, from the Tennessee side of things. If you're reading between the lines was basically rules. What rules? Hmm. Well, now yeah. that's literally the case. There are no rules because the judge has frozen the, frozen the rules. Yeah. yeah, I can. So let me ask a couple of frequently asked questions from UT fans since this has happened. One of them is, um, does this only apply to Tennessee and Virginia because they brought the, the lawsuit? Uh, no, it's it's nationwide. Um, so it was uh, the, the judge enjoined the NCAA in the injunction, meaning that like the NCAA has to abide by this uh, in all their affairs and all in like you said, all their agents, all their employees, everybody the NCAA employs, they can't enforce NIL rules. So this is for everybody. So like UT and Tennessee schools cannot have, they don't get like a, some kind of advantage because this happened in the state of Tennessee. Uh, another one, was, another question I got was like, you know, how many old rules can they break now that they're not rules? Like how, how wild of this wild West can they get? I'm, I'm curious to see, cause I, I think I've, I've, looked around the country and I've seen a lot of collectives and schools sort of and a lot of media members sort of tiptoe into this, not sure like this, there's no rule. So there should be some advantages now that weren't there before, but what are they? And and I, I think that tells you that people were breaking so many of the quote unquote rules or guidelines before that they don't really know what they can do now that they didn't do before. And I, I think there maybe not won't be as much of a difference early on, I, I, I sort of have used this analogy. Um, you know, when I drive on I-40 out here, I drive about 82 miles an hour. I'm always a left lane guy. 82 you and everybody else. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're all driving about 82. We're in the left lane. And that's technically illegal in the state of Tennessee. The speed limit 70. Uh, Montana, a number of years ago, did not have a speed limit. 
Um, I was in Montana a few years ago. I think they may have had it by then. I got a I got a terrible ticket in Wyoming, but anyway, beside the point. In Montana a few years ago, they didn't have it. Well, if you were driving through Montana, there you weren't driving a hundred because there was no limit. You were still driving about eighty-two to eighty-five. So you're doing the same things with or without a rule. It's just now you know you can't get caught doing that. So you can do it a little more brazenly. You can do it uh, with, a, with a little more freedom than you could before. There's no risk involved. Um, and so that will ramp things up gradually. But I don't think this is going to go like Wild West to Wilder West like overnight. We already had a few days of this. Um, I do think you're going to see more high school uh, athletes get uh, sort of get educated on this to how much they can do. And eventually we're going to hit, hit a wave of athletes uh, running up the price in a bidding war. You know, th this happened in February. So there are kids committing right now, but most of them were kind of committing in January. We'll have another wave here in not too long, but you'll probably have a big commitment wave like in the summer. So does that mean we're going to get like some high bids coming in like at the end of the school year? Um, I, I, you know, I'm curious to see when that is, because like in the NFL, you have free agency and you know when those numbers are going to skyrocket when somebody hits free agency. Well, everybody's sort of in free agency now in terms of high school recruits. Um, and then once guys go into the portal in April, you're going to see numbers thrown around more. I saw a report today and I, I'd, I'd cite them, but I forget which one it was. Um, they were quoting uh, some uh, some guys talk that talked to NIL collectives around the country, and collectives were a little disappointed in this. They were happy on one hand, they were a little disappointed on the other, or maybe some trepidation there, because now they're going to be held to their contracts. Like right. before, if you were sort of a slimy NIL collective, and we saw this all around the country, you could promise the moon and you know and deliver half that. And yeah. so guys would go into the portal because they were promised something on a back channel, but nothing was on paper. And then once they get into the portal, you know, a team had said, or a collective representing a team associated with the team would say, Hey, jump in the portal. We'll give you a hundred grand to come here. And then they jump into the portal and say, well, a hundred over your career. What we meant was 50 this year, but a hundred over your career. And so then the guy gets stuck or he's got to go to the school because he's already in the portal. Um, high school kids the same way. We're going to give you this much once you once you get here and you're signed and enrolled and all that. And nothing's ever on paper because a lot of these schools, I know this is going to shock a lot of people, but a lot of these schools don't actually have this money. I'm sorry, the collectives. I keep saying schools, the same thing. These collectives actually don't have this money. Like they, they, they don't have it. They don't have it available. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, as soon as we find out how many of these NIL collectors are taking out loans, short-term loans to pay uh, to get players, I think people are going to people are going to be sort of surprised. But so some of these collectives are floating, I think, more than sort of charging through. And now they've got to put pen to paper uh, with a lot of official things. Maybe this corrects the market. I think that's probably the best thing that it could do. Yeah, and it allows athletes, as you said, to sort of get it in writing. I mean, before, if you got your offer in writing, at least in court, according to the NCAA rules, that could be declared an inducement and a pay for play. And, you know, you, you could be in trouble if the NCAA comes sniffing around. Now, without these rules, you can say, okay, that sounds like a nice offer. Let's put it in writing and have my attorney look it over and uh, we'll, we'll sign some 
some contracts here and and reach an agreement. Uh, yeah, amateurism in 2024 sounds like a business, doesn't it? Been a business for a long, long time, and uh, now we're just dropping all pretense. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's leave the courtroom and the NCA behind and get looking toward the 2024 season. I was starting to think, Adam, recently about teams that could be in playoff contention from the SEC this year, because I think the SEC realistically could qualify about five teams for this inaugural 12-team playoff. Used to be, when I thought about whether a team could make the playoff or not, I thought, is this team good enough to go undefeated or like 11-1, and 12-1? Because that was the standard to get into a four-team playoff. If you lost twice, forget about it. You were out, right? You needed to go, even from the SEC, you needed to go 13-0 or lose one game. Now, with 12 spots, we know in a lot of years, SEC could get four or five bids. When you, you, when you add up the, at, um, the at-large bids with the automatic qualifiers, it's not so much about going undefeated anymore or even going 11-1. 10-2 from the SEC is going to put you in really good shape to make the college football playoff. And so now when I think about a team's credentials in the preseason about contending for the playoff, I am really looking heavily at their schedule. Like to me, the schedule matters more than ever about are you a contender or a pretender in the playoffs? Like if your schedule is easy enough that you think there's a path to 10 and two, there's a shot for the playoff. On the other hand, if you get a bad draw from the schedule makers, you could have a pretty good team. But you're not gonna you're not gonna get there because the schedule is not going to allow it. And so as I look around the SEC at the schedules, I actually think Tennessee got a reasonably favorable draw. Like in the old system, I'm not sure I would have said that because they got to face Georgia on the road. Well, I just said in the, in the four team playoff, you lose more than once, you're out. Well, you're facing Georgia on the road. You're almost starting the year with one loss, leaves you no margin for error. But now that's not the case. And so you look at it, at the schedule. Yeah, Tennessee's got Georgia on the road. They get Alabama at home, but this could be a bit of a down year for Alabama with the coaching change, some transfers. And they get Oklahoma on the road. Those are the three biggies. But I'd rather face Oklahoma than Texas. And if there's ever a time to play Alabama, it's this year in Neyland Stadium. And you can lose to Georgia and still make the college football playoff. So as I look at it, I think Tennessee's got a pretty good schedule draw. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoff, but I think this schedule puts them in good shape to be a contender for the playoff. What do you think? Yeah, I think you hit on a good point about how we're going to judge uh, playoff caliber teams in the preseason different now than we did before. It's going to be more projecting like we would NFL playoff teams. So, you know, in the past I would say, well, the Tennessee Titans – you know, can get to the playoff if they go nine and seven, like under the old 16 team thing, nine and seven, 10 and six, they're in, you know, you didn't say, well, the Titans can't get in because the Colts are going to get in and they're in the same division. Well, that, that makes no difference. You have wild cards. It it's, makes no difference at all, really. Um, it's And so like in the NFL, you would say, you got to get to a certain number, nine, 10 wins, and you may need to win this game, this game, and this game, especially late in the season. Um, I think that's how we're going to start looking at these teams because in the past it was, yeah, t- Tennessee can't get to the playoff because they can't beat Georgia to win the East. Even if they won the East and beat Georgia, then they get there and they'd have to beat Alabama, probably beat Alabama twice in a season to get to the playoff. So there was always just these big roadblocks. 
Now I think you're right. Get to 10, get to 10 and you're in, in the SEC, not everywhere else. Um, so can you pick out two losses and stop there in the schedule? I, I think so. I mean, in the preseason at Georgia, I chalk up as a loss. Um, Alabama is a toss up because it's at Neyland and because we, we kind of don't know what we're going to get out of Alabama. Alabama's still going to be really good, but are they going to be elite? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, at Oklahoma is a toss up. So now we've got two toss ups and a loss. And there may be another one in there. You know, I, one question I have is which one is going to be Tennessee's like dud game? Which is going to be their kryptonite game? The last two years they've had a kryptonite game. Two years ago with South Carolina, a team that on paper Tennessee should beat, and they just fell apart that day, played terribly. They did South Carolina two years ago, especially on defense. And last season it was Missouri. And that's also looking at a team, in Missouri's case, of a team that you thought would be a pushover in the preseason, but by middle of the year you thought, no, this is a really good team. I look at Tennessee's schedule, and you, of course, don't know which team that is because that's the whole purpose of them being a surprise, but I don't think it's Kentucky. I mean, Tennessee's Not at Neyland Stadium especially, right? You know, Mississippi State, you could convince me of that late in the year, Jeff Levy getting his offense and all that, but again, that's at Neyland, so – I don't think that's it. If you if the schedule was in reverse in terms of the dates, I actually would go non-conference and say that NC State game. NC State is a team that you could beat by 14. Um, NC State is a team that could be a 9 or 10 win team itself. Um, and you also, I think you have to think about what's a team that has a chance of being pretty good but not great, but they do have a veteran quarterback. See, like that's what Missouri had last year. That's what South Carolina did two years ago. You just got like the best that you could out of your old quarterback, your veteran quarterback. Um, NC State has uh, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. So they've got a guy out of the portal that has thrown for like 14,000 yards or something. But it's early in the year. So it's like week two. So I don't even know if I can count that one as like a surprise type, type opponent. Um, but so, it's also I mean, week two for Nico. Right. I That's mean, right. Gracie McCall is still getting his feet under him with a new program, but as good as we think Nico is going to be, that'll be his third career start and his second career start will be against Chattanooga. Right. So that hardly counts. So for all intents and purposes, it'll be his second career start. And boy, we're putting a lot into the citrus bowl and, you know, we fell for this a little bit in the orange bowl, although we did warn everybody and ourselves not to, say two years ago that like, well, Joe Milton is great because he's having the orange ball. We tried to temper that a little bit. And so the citrus ball, Nico was really good, ran for three touchdowns, threw for one. His overall passing numbers weren't great. It didn't have to be great. They won 35, nothing. Um, but I will say it's his poise in that game, in that one game um, told me that he's probably, his game is going to accelerate faster than I thought it would. Like before the Citrus Bowl, I thought, you know, he's going to have a rough patch early on. They're going to have to try to figure out how to beat NC State while he's sort of learning the ropes. Going to Oklahoma that early in the year, he's probably still going to be trying to get go through some growing pains. You just have to survive that, run the ball, play good defense, and tell Nico, don't mess it up yet. We know you'll be a great player, but it probably won't be till October, November. Boy, after seeing that Citrus Bowl, and I'm, I'm going against myself here, uh, my own advice, but 
it really looked like his game could accelerate pretty fast, like that he could play well against NC State and then play even better against Oklahoma. And then by the time you do get him into October, November, when you're playing Alabama and Georgia and all those, you may you may have a really, really good player. Now, I know there's others on the field that are going to determine this, but um, I, I feel better about their playoff chances now and getting on a winning streak early in the year, getting through NC State and getting through Oklahoma. I feel better about that now, not just because of how Nico played in that game, but his poise and his his sort of his comfort level. Now, that, that was a that was a neutral site game. NC State would be a neutral site game. Um, Oklahoma will not be. So maybe I changed my mind uh, before then, but uh, they've got the talent at quarterback, but you know, there's, there's other things to go there. If you lose to Georgia, here's the other thing too. Let's look at the schedule. Georgia is like what week, like 11 or 12 or something. It's their next to last game. Vandy's yeah, their last game. Yeah, so, they got UTEP in there, right? I think it's week 10. Yeah. So yeah. the fun thing about that, maybe the good thing for UT fans is that you you don't have that loss already. If you play Georgia in September and you lose, then you're going through the next couple months saying, well, you can only lose one more. You can only lose one more. You don't, in your mind, you don't have to count Georgia as a loss because it's at the end of the year. And so you can take an L early and say, well, you know, you can take one more. Maybe it's Georgia. Maybe it's somebody somewhere else. I think the fact that Georgia is at the end of the schedule will probably drum up more optimism as the year goes on because you don't have that early loss, at least not as much of a chance of it. As I, you know, I mentioned, uh, there, there's really three big games. Uh, well, there's more than three, but the three biggest games: Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia. That's kind of the big three, as as you sort of alluded to. You go even one and two in that stretch. You, you got a shot at playoff qualification if they avoid the stub the toe game. As I look at this, I'm wondering, um, what do you see as the most important game on the schedule this year for Tennessee? Do you think it's one of those big three? Is it a different one? I've, I've got a thought, but I'm, I'm curious to see which direction you'll go. So what's the most important game on the schedule this year for Tennessee? Whew. Um... Alabama, Alabama. I mean, I, I, maybe that's a that's a cop out, but you know, I mean, it's it's a toss up for me between Oklahoma and Alabama. Um, but if you tell me that they beat Alabama in Neyland in October, um, I, like I said, I still think Alabama is going to be a top ten team. So I think we have to put some weight on some of these potential wins too, and uh, you know. You like you said early in the uh, earlier on the the episode that uh, SEC you think will get like five teams in they'll get between three and five pro- let, 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 let's say four um, you're gonna have probably like three SEC teams at the end of the year sort of jockeying for the last the last wild card spot the last at large spot and so if you're Tennessee and you have a top ten win over Alabama in October, not early in the year, but closer to later in the year, I think that sort of gets the ball rolling a lot more in in, uh, in your favor. And uh, I think the storyline and the caliber of opponent that that's probably going to be and the rivalry and all that, I think that that helps you because you would beat probably a top 10 team. I think it would also help you because you beat Alabama. And so that's that's an obvious one to me, but I, I think that's the right that, that, that's the right answer. 
I think so too. And I, I was debating between Oklahoma and Alabama and I, I was wondering which way you would go. I thought you would probably pick one of those two. And I landed on Alabama as well for a couple of reasons. One, I think if Tennessee beats Alabama, I think, I think they could be in the playoff. Uh, like I think the final playoff spot almost could come down to Alabama or Tennessee because Alabama has got a really tough schedule. They're, they're going to, they're, they're going to lose another game or two somewhere along the line. A loss to Tennessee could knock Alabama out of the playoff picture, but still be enough to boost Tennessee. Who else do they play? Do you remember off the top of your head who else Bama plays? They play Texas again, don't they? Bama has Oklahoma. They don't have Texas. They have Oklahoma, but they have LSU on the road. They have Georgia. Um, They have Tennessee. They have Missouri, who should be pretty good again this year. They have Auburn. So those are the big ones. Georgia, Oklahoma, LSU on the road, Auburn, Missouri, and Tennessee. Like so it's, I think it's, that's that's the, I, I count that as a minimum two losses outside of the Tennessee game. Yeah, I mean that's six tough games. It's it's realistic to see Alabama going three and three in those six tough games. I don't think they'll lose to anybody else and, and finishing nine and three. But that would still look like a sterling win on Tennessee's resume. And you know I, I look at the way Tennessee has played throughout the Josh Heupel era. And they've had so much success at Neyland, and we know that they struggle on the road. And so, yeah, I could point to that Oklahoma game at, at Norman um, and say that's a big one. It is. But I just think if they can defend the home turf this year, even if they have some of those road struggles, they could lose at Norman in September. We know the way the playoff goes, it's a little easier to recover from an early season loss than a later in the season loss. So they could lose to, to Oklahoma in September, bounce back, take care of business against Alabama at home, defend ne- Neyland Stadium, and then you know Georgia could be ranked number one when when that game rolls around in Athens. You lose to number one, I don't know if you're going to lose that much footing in the rankings. I think if there's a win against Alabama on the resume, even with losses to Oklahoma and Georgia, I think Tennessee would have a great candidacy. It's just getting back to what you said earlier is there going to be that other game that trips them up? Could they beat Alabama? You know, all this other stuff that I'm talking about happens, but then a loss to NC State keeps them out of the playoff or, you know, some other SEC opponent that on paper we think Tennessee could could beat. I think that's that's actually pretty plausible, right? They get up for the Bama game. They beat Bama at home. We saw it just two years ago, and then they lose to South Carolina on, on the road. I, I think that, that really is you know, something to, to consider. And in fact, I think I would almost predict that at this point. That and Tennessee makes a, the playoff? That they don't because that they're, okay. they're going to get kneecapped by somebody at a left field. I think I would predict they beat Alabama just like they did in 2021. I think they'll lose to Oklahoma and Georgia. So right there, they could be 10 and two. Yeah. But they're going to get kneecapped by somebody else. And they're going to be on the outside looking in at nine and three. Well, you know, it's funny is is when those would happen, it would change the narrative of the season. Let's say they did trip up or just, you know, get beat fair and square to NC State. If you lose to NC State, that that next week on the pod, we're not talking about the playoff. We're talking about, you know, they gotta they gotta figure out how to beat Oklahoma and sort of right the ship and all that. Um so but if you know, if you're if you're beating NC State, you're beating Oklahoma, and then you're getting to the Alabama game, and you're you're undefeated. For sure, we're talking about a playoff, and then the trip up game later on would be 
more of a shocker and would seem like more is on the line. So I guess you can have trip up games sort of anywhere. You know, you think about the 2022 season, um, it took overtime to beat Pitt, to win at Pitt. And that was like, what, week two or something? Um, if Tennessee doesn't win at Pitt in overtime there, Cedric Tillman catching a touchdown pass, um, Trey Flowers getting a sack, then we're not talking about a playoff the rest of that year. The Alabama, the win over Alabama is just like, hey, that was, that was great. They beat Alabama. And so when when your sort of trip-up game happens, uh, dictates a lot of where the narrative goes. And it doesn't feel like a trip-up game if it's early in the season because you don't know what you have yet. Um, so, again, I, I look late in the year, and I just don't know who that team would be. You know, again, South Carolina was near the end of the year. The Missouri game last year was near the end of the year. They're not going to lose to Vandy. Mississippi State, I guess, would have to be that, or Kentucky, and I just don't feel – good about either of those teams coming into Neyland and winning. So uh, back to your original point, the schedule sets up for them to win 10. Um, but, you know, I mean, I know we'll get more into it as we get closer to spring practice, but you've got the questions with Nico. Your offensive and defensive lines have to be very good. They can't be pretty good. You know, a lot of veterans are coming back there. Sometimes that can work out to where you say, well, this is a dominant force, all these older guys coming back. Sometimes you can get sort of, you know, guys come back and take things for granted and say, we were pretty good last year, we'll be pretty good this year, and there's not that hunger there. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to have that, but sometimes you can take it for granted just because proven guys come back that they're going to be dominant. So you've got to have really elite play on both of the lines. Um, The secondary is going to be completely rebuilt, but there are issues in secondary already. We'll, We'll see if that makes any difference. I mean, I just come down to the wide receivers. I mean. You know, two years ago, they had the best wide receiving core in the country. And last year, they were they underwhelmed. We don't know how much of that had to do with the quarterback and how much was the wide receivers. They've got a lot of pieces they're putting together to find the right wideouts. But they've got to have four really good ones. And Squirrel Wide is good, but Squirrel Wide is not a one. He's, he's a two or a phenomenal three in terms of ranking. Um Brew McCoy is a really good wide receiver, but, you know, he couldn't walk until a few weeks ago. His rehab's going really well, but still, he's coming back off a serious injury. Um, Chris Brazel is, was a really good pickup in the transfer portal, but he was he was at Tulane last year. So if you say, well, he, yeah, but he was really good at Tulane. Well, Dante Thornton was pretty good at Oregon, too, and he didn't give you much last year. Mike Matthews is a five-star freshman. He's a five-star player, but he's a freshman. So, you know, there's just so many, like, what ifs in that receiving core, you got to find at least three, but probably four. And at, you know, at this point, I think they've got some pieces there, but I just don't know if they have like a dominant help you carry you to the playoff type of wide receiver. It'll be interesting to see in the spring. Yeah. I'm glad you corrected me, Adam. I think I mentioned earlier that Tennessee beat Bama in 2021. It was in playoff contention before losing to uh, South Carolina. No, it was 2022. The uh, the years blur together like sure. Josh Heupel's offense. Uh, on the way out the door, just kind of had a thought because I'm I'm sitting here, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, what what is the biggest threat for a a uh, a trip up game outside of the big three opponents that we're talking about? And I'm struck by the fact that we have the one team we haven't mentioned is the rival that's tortured Tennessee. Almost to the extent that Alabama has for the last 20 years, Florida. Now, I don't think Florida is going to be very good this year. And yet there's been some other years where Florida didn't have a great team and still beat Tennessee. 
And in fact, I believe the number is 17 out of the last 19 meetings Florida has won. Now, the two times Florida lost was in Neyland Stadium, including a couple years ago against Josh Heupel. So Heupel does have a win against Florida, but didn't beat him last year in the Swamp. Florida thumped him pretty good last year in the Swamp. And yeah, I think Tennessee is going to have a much better team than than Florida does. But as you look at the schedule, that game sandwiched in between a road game in Arkansas and then Alabama the next week. Well, I don't know. Just maybe it's the memories of those those matchups in, in years past. But I think maybe that's the the trip up game that we were kind of overlooking. And I'm overlooking it, obviously, because I don't think Florida's gonna you know, I think Florida could be a four or five win team again this year. But yeah, one yeah, of those I mean be against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean it's it's not in the swamp. Um it's in Neyland. But two years ago, Tennessee was a top five team, and it took Kamal Haddon catching a, a pulling down an interception at the ten yard line at the end to seal that game against a very mediocre Florida team, and that was in Neyland. Um, you know, maybe it helps Tennessee that it's being played later this year than it normally is, because um, you 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 don't have the sort of that hex game that hits you right in the face as soon as the season starts. Uh, but I, I think a lot of that depends on like where Billy Napier is. Is that is Florida in the let's win one for Billy mode or is Florida in the let's pack up Billy's bags mode? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it might be let's win one for the interim coach mode. By that point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know, I don't I don't I don't know. You know, it depends on which Florida we get. They do have some talent there. They've recruited reasonably well, but uh the wheels could be coming off of that thing by then, or, and I don't have Florida schedule in front of me, but I know it's a pretty t- it's a, it's a really tough schedule. Yeah. If, it's they've already, the if they've already got a couple, three losses by then um, you're going to see people trying to push Billy out the door. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. It, that's certainly a trip up game because of the history of it though. That's for sure. All right. Spring practice starting soon for Tennessee. Adam, of course, will have the coverage of that when it gets underway and, you should check out knoxnews.com because he's had uh, even more updates this week on what's going on uh, with the NCAA case and when the NCAA may have started looking around at Tennessee and what Tennessee was doing on the front end to prepare itself for that. Again, you can find all of his coverage over at knoxnews.com, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer Statement.